Thank you so much, Malcolm. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, um, we had arranged an interview with Dr. Robert Patman, international relations expert at Otago University, in relation to the dispute between the US and Iran. And it looks as though Iran is losing patience with the US as they're squeezed by US sanctions. Iran has announced it's, it'll boost its uranium enrichment after July 7 to whatever levels it needs beyond the cap set in the landmark 2015 nuclear deal, defying US efforts to force Tehran to renegotiate the pact. Iran's intelligence minister says Tehran and Washington can hold talks only if the US ends its sanctions. To discuss this, I'm joined by Dr. Robert Patman. Good morning to you. Good morning, Kerry. Both of them seem to be practicing brinksmanship, both the US and Iran. How can it end? Well, that is the $64 million question, <laughs> isn't it? Um, yeah. Um, just to recap, the United States withdrew mm. from what was called the Iran nuclear deal in 2000. Uh, that, that deal was put together by the Obama administration. It was seen as a landmark achievement. And that deal, the nuclear deal, aimed to halt Iran's nuclear drive. It was signed by Iran, along with the United States, the United Kingdom, France, Germany, Russia, yep. China, and the European Union. Yeah. And so that was a multilateral agreement. And sanctions were largely lifted against Iran in return for Iran for closing the possibility of developing a nuclear weapon. Um, now, Mr. Trump never liked the deal, no. and he has withdrawn from it. He did that last year, and that led to a lot of tension between the Europeans, <clears throat> excuse me, the Western Europeans in particular, uh, the British, the Germans, and the French, and uh, the Trump administration. They've always argued uh, it wasn't a perfect deal. Well, it was better than the alternatives, yeah. and now we're beginning to see what the alternatives look like, which is basically Mr. Trump applying what he calls... Uh, a strategy of maximum pressure on the Iranian regime, which means the United States has reinstituted sanctions, which is really hurting the Iranian economy. It really, and, really and, is. And, and, yeah, yeah. What, Iran is a major oil producer, and its major source of income are oil exports, and its earnings and its ability to sell its oil have been severely impeded by these sanctions. And... Um, the Iranians have responded to this by putting pressure onto the other parties to the Iran nuclear deal. And amongst other things, they've said to the Europeans, unless you can help us find a way around these sanctions, which is effectively crippling the Iranian economy, then we will be forced to take measures of our own, including uh, the what, what you observed in your introductory remarks, which is um, increasing the amount mm. of enriched uranium beyond the levels uh, allowed under the Iran nuclear deal. This is a, a shot um, or retaliation, depending on how you characterise it. It's Iran hitting back um, against what it sees as unfair sanctions. The European Union has tried, though, hasn't it? It's got the um, mm. INSTEX uh, instrument right. in support of trade exchange, which is a, a payment system they, in effect, created that will allow companies to trade with Iran and get around the sanctions. Everybody's yeah. having to play such fast and loose footwork, aren't they? Yeah, but the the problem is that 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 what that mechanism of getting around the sanctions mm. in stacks 
um, is uh, operational, but it's still not working to Iran's satisfaction. Iran mm-hmm. says it's not enough. And the other thing is, the Europeans are now finding themselves caught in the middle between the showdown, the, the looming showdown between Iran and the United States, because the Americans are saying the Europeans now have to choose whether they yeah. want to trade with Iran or trade with the United States. They can't have it both ways. And of course, many, many European companies are putting America way ahead of Iran because of the size of the American market. Well, you also heard um, the British foreign minister today too say, you know, after the Royal Marines boarded that oil tanker on the way to Syria, because the Iranians mm-hmm. are looking for markets wherever they can, saying, well, we're rather fearful that Iran is going to think that we're siding with the US. We're not. We're just trying to stick to the terms of the agreement. Yes, well, the British are trying to tread a fine line. Um, Given the difficulties that Britain's facing with the looming Brexit, um, Britain needs, in many respects, to keep a dialogue going with the likes of China. Now, China is a big Iran supporter. And, um, you know, Britain also does a lot of business with China. So Mm. there is some complicated Mm. diplomacy going on here. At the same time, um, you know, Britain sending mixed messages. It's saying that it just wants to stick to the agreement, um, but it effectively was quick. The British Foreign Minister, Jeremy Hunt, was quick to support um, Mr. Trump's claim, uh, the recent claim that a U.S. drone, which was shot down. Um, the Americans claimed it was shot down in international waters. The Iranians claimed it was shot down domestic waters. The, America, the British were very quick to support the American version of events. Um, It's very difficult to know exactly what happened, but virtually everyone outside Iran believes that drone was in international waters. The the point to note here is that the Europeans are in a very difficult situation. They're very frustrated because they feel um, that Mr. Trump is doing nothing to actually um, contain Iran's nuclear weapons capabilities. In fact, he's actually stimulating them. And um, they're not convinced that there is a realistic military alternative to dealing with Iran's nuclear weapons. Iran's a big country. It's got 80 million people. It's got some powerful friends. And one of the reasons Iran's influence has grown in the region so much is because the United States invaded Iraq in 2003, deposed the Saddam Hussein dictatorship, But in doing so, they removed uh, a traditional rival of Iran and Mm. uh, and a traditional counterweight to Iranian influence in the Middle East. So Iranian influence in the Middle East has gone up. And that's one of the reasons that Mr. Trump said he couldn't abide by the Iran nuclear deal. He looked beyond just the nuclear details. He was concerned about Iran's influence in Lebanon uh, through Hezbollah and also... In uh, Syria, uh, Iran's been a major player in Syria, along with Russia. I feel the country I feel most sorry for, I think, is Pakistan, because they're, t- they're trying to look after their neighbour. I think mm. they signed a, a, like the, a, a closer economic trading partnership, but it hasn't fully been enacted. They're trying to keep the US on side. They're the ones I feel sorry for. Yes, and it... it a lot of states are affected by this showdown between Iran and uh, the United States. 
One thing that I think is a, a common denominator, both in the tensions between US and China and the tensions between mm. the US and Iran, is that traditionally we think of trade between, uh, when sanctions are implied, we often think it interrupts trade between just two countries. Uh, that is to say, for example, that the United States applies sanctions against Iran and it's something between the two of them, or they apply sanctions against China, not sanctions, but tariffs, and it applies, but if, it applies between the two states. Commission. But increasingly, trade is through global supply chains, Kerry, that involve multiple countries. And um, <clears throat> that's the reality. Mm. It, you know, if you've got a mobile telephone or a watch, then often that product will be put together in, say, 10 or 15 countries, although it may have... <clears throat> the brand name of a particular country. So that's the reality of trade in an interdependent, interconnected world. And, you know, the point you made about Pakistan mm. is that some of the weaker countries will be most adversely affected yes. by the fallout from the uh, mounting tensions. It's that, uh, it's that domino effect, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's not just about the two countries. And, and it does actually, you know, in the 21st century... We really do need much more effective international mechanisms of governance. I mean, let's be quite clear. Um, it's not really satisfactory to way to run the world in the 21st century mm. where countries basically throw their weight about, you do it my way, or, you know, you effectively take the consequences. It's a sort of Wild West sort of approach, really. And it, it's, it, you know, if you think of some of the most dangerous places in the world, uh, whether it be Kashmir and Pakistan or whether it's not in Pakistan, that disputed territory between India and Pakistan, or it be Syria. One of the things you note, or it's the, you know, the West Bank um, occupied territory. One of the interesting things here is that the UN is largely, the UN Security Council is largely a bystander. Oh. So we don't have effective mechanisms, no. uh, any international authority to sort out these problems uh, you know, we don't have um, an international agency which is the analogous to our domestic police force, which can intervene and enforce rules. We don't have any uh, analogous mechanism internationally. No. Perhaps we will have one in the future, but it's not there at the moment. Absolutely. I could, don't even get us started on the UN. Robert Patman, Dr. Robert Patman, international relations expert at Otago University, thank you so much for your insight.